Welcome to the PSI Monthly Podcast. My name is Kat, and I will be your host. And on behalf of PSI Seminars, welcome to the podcast. PSI has been offering personal growth seminars around the world for over 45 years. And each month on these trainings, we explore tools and techniques from the PSI Basic Course as a free resource for you in your ongoing personal growth and self-improvement. For those of you who are new to PSI Seminars and would like to find out more about our basic course, you can go to PSIBasicSeminar.com. Tonight, we are talking about post-traumatic growth. We have with us PSI facilitator Cortland Warren. Cortland is an instructor for the PSI Basic Seminar for over 14 years now, He attended all of the PSI classes in 2001. He's very passionate about this work and loves assisting people in their own personal transformation. Cortland, are you with us? I am, Kat. I am. Good evening. And good evening to everyone who has made themselves a priority enough to be a part of your continued learning, uh, self-education, and self-understanding. I want to first express... Uh, my appreciation to the vision of Psy Seminars to make continued uh, self-development a priority. And uh, it's been a pleasure of mine for, as Kat said, 15 years to be aligned. Uh, Tonight, we take on a subject that is, I believe, absolutely, uh, positively perfect timing for those who are questioning and wondering what to do, if there's anything I can do, Uh, What's the the next move to make? Uh, Do I sit still? Do I take action? If I take action, how can I be sure that the action that I take is the right action? Um, All of those are questions that we're faced with here in the month of June in the year 2020. Uh, We are uh, experiencing a once in 100 year pandemic. And as soon as, I don't know about you, but as soon as it felt like Uh, The country was starting to open up again. Uh, Absolute pandemonium uh, broke loose. And so what to do for those of us who get that we do have personal responsibility for the lives that we create, and yet all around us there is chaos. And so uh, the subject of post-traumatic growth is, I believe, timely. When I, in my experience, have asked people in a, a crowded room in the basic seminar How many of you have ever heard of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder? Over 95% of hands will go up in the air. I will then ask, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic growth? And there are some snickers, there's some giggles, there's some kind of sarcastic looks that I get, but inevitably there's less than 5% of hands that will be raised. I then uh, have to convince the group that, no, there is such a thing as post-traumatic growth. And the few in the room who've heard of it can validate. Um, I will say, well, you know, search it out on your search engine, you know, of choice and uh, see if it isn't true. And I find it quite interesting that 95% plus will know what post-traumatic stress disorder is, and yet less than 5% will know what post-traumatic growth is. And so by the end of the call tonight or whenever you're listening, 
there you will have that understanding. Uh, it is also likely that there's a part of you that knows that you can do more, be more, have more. Perhaps there's this yearning that you uh, experience often that uh, suggests that you can uh, give more to the world, that you can be a part of the solution, and you're confused on how or what steps to take. Uh, at the end of this call tonight, you'll have more clarity in that area. At least that's my objective. If you look into your life and you note that you've uh, still been holding on to some things, I will ask uh, groups of people in the basic, how many of you have things that you resent, things that happened in a way that they should not have happened, and you're holding on to it and have been holding on to it for over six months, and hands will go up. I say, how many of you have things that you've been holding on to for more than a couple of years, and hands will go up? Perhaps it was a breakup. Perhaps it was uh, loss of money. Perhaps uh, it was a failure that you experienced. And I say, well, how many of you have things that you've been holding on to for more than five years? And we'll keep going. I'll say 10 years, 20 years, uh, 30 years. You've been holding on to things that you haven't let go of and hands will go up. And then I ask the question, well, wh why do you hold on to it? What's, what's the real reason that you hold on to whatever that experience was that did not go the way that you hoped that it would go. And there will inevitably be uh, responses like, well, uh, I hold on to it to protect myself from it happening again. Or I hold on to it because I use it to strengthen me. I use it uh, as a lesson and it's made me stronger. And then when we look at it more closely, I say, well, okay, you're holding on to it to ensure that it never happens again. You're holding on to that heartbreak so that you never get your heart broken again. You're holding on to that lesson you learned in business so that uh, no one ever takes advantage of you again. Perhaps that's your justification, that's your reason. And so, is it working? Is holding on to it working? And inevitably the answer is no. So by holding on to it, my justification is I keep it from happening again, or it makes me tougher, I use it, for my, I use it as strength, and when we closely examine it, the reality is that it does not stop it from happening. It doesn't stop it from reoccurring. Uh, me determining that I am not going to trust again in relationship does not prevent another person uh, being entered into my life that isn't trustworthy. And so we have to look more closely at what is it that we truly get by holding on to not, not the event or experience. We, un, we intellectually understand that that's past, but we hold on to the feelings. We hold on to the beliefs that were generated or reinforced. We hold on to the story that was created. And tonight we'll also explore more closely what it is that we get from doing that. You can have two people who have the exact same experience. And after that experience, one person determines that they're never gonna trust again, or they never seem to bounce back. And another person having the same experience goes on to live or create for themselves a very fulfilling life. So how can it be that the experience was common between two people and yet one flourishes and another seems to never uh, regain their footing? We're gonna also look at that, how it relates to post-traumatic uh, growth. 
And we'll also look at how it's possible. So uh, how it's possible for you to change your thinking, change your beliefs, and change your mind. In fact, as we, as we develop this idea over the course of our time tonight, and then as I understand it from Kat, we have some questions from you, which I'm really excited um, to take. Uh, William, William James is the you know, father of psychology, at least in America. Uh, he's founded the psychology department at Harvard. Uh, he is, his seminal works in psychology are known really around the globe. And when he was asked the question, what is the greatest discovery of your generation, of all of your findings, of all that you have done, and this was in the early 1900s, of all of your findings and with all that you have done, what is the greatest discovery? And William James is quoted as saying, the greatest discovery of my generation is that people can alter their lives by altering their attitude of mind. He was essentially saying that in all of his research, in all of the science, his greatest discovery was that human beings have the power to alter or change their life by changing their attitude of mind. In my view, that is the anchor or the foundation for the personal development industry. Without that, there is no personal development. Without the ability to change our beliefs and our belief structure, there is no personal development industry. And really, if we, to, if we were to just peel that back a bit more, there really is no possibility for hope. There is no inspiration. There is no motivation because in essence, how you were born is what you got. There'd be nothing to look forward to. There'd be no hope for the future if it were not possible that we could change our lives by changing our minds. But the truth is we can change our lives because we can change our beliefs. And if we can, if we can change our beliefs, we can change our attitude. And if we can change our attitude, we can change our behavior or our habits. And if we can change our behavior and habits, then we can change the results that we're creating. And so we look at then what is post-traumatic growth as compared to post-traumatic stress disorder. It's first important to understand, and I believe that you'll get this, right? It, it, it makes, uh, it's pretty common sense. Adversity challenges, obstacles are something that we are all faced with, regardless of who you are or where you're from. There is no exoneration from struggle and challenge. There's not a class that you can take or a course that you can attend. There's not a book that you can read that will allow you to live life without having to go through something. There's not anything that you're going to be able to do to have a fulfilling and purposeful life without there being some hurdles, some roadblocks, and some challenges. So the first premise tonight is to understand that adversity visits all of us. 
that we're all faced with our challenges and our obstacles. And it's important to understand that it's relative, meaning the difficulty of it is relative. So you may have gone through some things growing up or in your adulthood. I've gone through things growing up and in my adulthood. To compare who had it worse is a really futile argument to make. It is uh, very true that privilege is invisible to those who have it. To argue what privilege is, to argue who has privilege, is a futile argument because when you're in it, you don't recognize that you have it. It's kind of inherent in the definition. So it's the struggle itself is relative. I cannot go to a person and say, well, you have what you have because you didn't have to go through what I go through or you didn't have to deal with what I had to deal with. For whatever story I have of difficulty and challenge, there will inevitably be someone who had it worse. So there, so again, we cannot do anything that exonerates us from struggle and challenge, difficulty and obstacles, hurdles that we must overcome. Adversity visits everybody. There's not anything that we can do about that. So as we look at post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic growth, if adversity visits everybody, how then is it that some people when faced with adversity, it becomes the best thing that ever happened to them. And then there are those who face adversity and they're never able to bounce back from it. That's what we're about to explore. Adversity visits us all. Now, there are those who, when they have the experience or when the event happens, there is the feeling that comes along with it. Uh, after the event or immediately as a response to the event or experience, there is a setback. Uh, there is regret, there's guilt, there's pain, there's aloneness, there's sadness, there's hurt, uh, whatever the associated feeling is. And that happens also to everybody. You're human beings, not human doings. So when we experience events in our lives, there are emotions and feelings that come along with it. Now, I want to draw a distinction here uh, on this podcast between being victimized and having a victim consciousness. Not the same thing. There's victimized and there's victim consciousness. Victimized is the event or the experience. It's the thing that happened. Again, there's no one who's able to live their life without being victimized at some point. Someone steals your credit card. Someone steals your identity. Uh, a, a challenging childhood growing up. You trusted a friend. They stole money from you. You started a business. Your idea was stolen. All of us are victimized. Okay. Now, victimized, again, is the event or the experience. Victim consciousness or victimhood is the beliefs that I now have as a result of the experience. We've got to draw that distinction or none of the rest of it makes sense. There's the event and then there are the beliefs that I develop 
or maintain because or as a result of the event. Victimized versus victim consciousness. When an event occurs, there are those who experience the feeling, they experience the setback, and as a result of that, it is so devastating to them that they're never able to bounce back. They never get back to the level that they once were. When we talk about traumatic events or PTSD, it is so important that we understand that we're not just talking about uh, men and women who've served in the armed forces. PTSD isn't just reserved for those who have been in combat. A traumatic experience can be any experience that leads you to a feeling of negative emotions, not just wartime. A divorce or a breakup can be, for some, a traumatic experience. Losing your job when your family depended on you to clothe and feed them, and yet you now have your income wiped out. That can be a traumatic experience. The death of a loved one can also be a traumatic experience. So it is important that we get that trauma isn't just experienced by those who've been to war. Trauma can be experienced by any person and really regarding almost any event. So that when the event occurs, there are emotions and feelings that come along with the event because I am, you are, we are determining what that or event or experience means. What does it mean about me that my spouse has divorced me? What does it mean about me that uh, a loved one has passed away and I didn't get to say goodbye to them? What does it mean? What's the meaning that I assign to the feeling of not being able to support my family? And yes, what does it mean that I have gone to war and I've seen uh, my fellow brothers and sisters in battle lose their life? When we experience the event, there are the emotions that come along with it because of the meaning that we are assigning. And based on that meaning, there are those who never are able to bounce back from the event or experience. They're never the same. And, as, and we can say in general terms that they are experiencing post-trauma stress disorder. The event was so devastating and the meaning that they assigned it was so devastating that they weren't able to bounce back. Now, the great majority of people and this is very likely you, the great majority of people, even after experiencing some adversity, they are able to at least bounce back to where they were. They find a way to dust themselves off. They find a way to brush off their shoulders. They find a way to dust off their knees. They got knocked down, and yet they find a way to get back to where they were. Even after the breakup, the bankruptcy, the loss of uh, income, the you know devastating event or experience of loss of a loved one, or even wartime. They find a way to get back to where they were. That's the majority of people. And so if we look at this as a bell curve, as a way that I imagine it, uh, in that bell curve, 
uh, to the left, that a couple of standard deviations for the for my mathematicians and analysts, right? A couple of standard deviations to the left, that's post-traumatic stress disorder. The great majority, the masses, are in the middle of that bell curve. We find a way to bounce back. To the right, a few standard deviations to the right, there is a fraction of people, a small uh, group, comparatively, who when they experience the trauma, they don't just bounce back to where they were. They found a way to use the experience or the event to become stronger than they ever were before. So catch that. They experienced the adversity. They didn't allow it to knock them down and keep them down. And they went beyond just bouncing back to where they were. They found a way. There was a particular skill set that they tapped into that allowed them to become better than they ever were before. You will hear people reference it, and you'll know that they've experienced some post-traumatic growth. When you hear things like, the best thing that ever happened to me was losing my job because it forced me to go out and start my own business. The best thing that ever happened to me was that breakup or the divorce. I didn't know it at the time, and frankly, it didn't feel like it at the time. However, I look back on it, and that was where I drew my line in the sand and determined that I was going to be different. Things were going to change. There are those who they have this experience of post-traumatic growth. Uh, after they receive a medical diagnosis. And that was the thing that shaped them. That was the thing that enabled them to call forth from within themselves that which was necessary, and they hadn't tapped into it before. And their life was never the same. So when we speak about post-traumatic growth, it goes beyond just you bouncing back to where you were. It's using the event or the experience to be better than you ever have been. So how does this relate to where we find ourselves uh, in the current state of affairs, in current events? As I said earlier, it went from pandemic to pandemonium uh, with uh, COVID-19 crippled the U.S. economy. Buildings were and have been essentially shuttered. Hotels are empty. Casinos closed. Uh, if you ask yourself, you may ask yourself, when when did you know that it was serious? When did you know that it was for real? Honestly, I was like, it'll just be a week or so. It'll just be a couple of weeks or so. Things will calm down. Things will go back to normal until. Now, a little backstory here. I'm an avid golfer. When they canceled the Masters Golf Tournament, an event that I look forward to every single year, when the word came out that the Masters was not was going to be postponed, I was like, oh, 
oh, this is serious. Now, so, now watch your judgments. Some of you may like, oh, you know, there were deaths that were happening. That I said, when was it for you that you got it? For me, that's when I got it. And for other people, it was other things. And so businesses have been closed and hotels not operating. And at least as, you know, in this society, we get to see that we don't need to be entertained all the time because, you know, uh, concerts were canceled and sporting events were canceled and um, big meetings and conferences and conventions were canceled. And so, you know, casinos were closed and it was evident that there was something major. We find ourselves in a once in 100 year uh, event. And I assure you that there will be those who coming out of this pandemic, they will be able to look back on the experience and say that that was where they determined that they were going to transform their life. There are going to be some businesses that don't open back up. They couldn't go 30, 60, or 90 days without operations. So they'll close and they'll never reopen. There will be those who kind of, you know, move along enough to get some semblance of normalcy back. And there will be those who use this time to bounce back stronger than they've ever been. That will happen for businesses. It will also happen for individuals. There are those who will be so devastated by this that they never recover. There will be those who will find a way to brush themselves off and get back to where they were. What you have opportunity to do if you'll implement some of the tools that we're gonna get into here in just a moment, is you'll be able to look back at this experience and say that was where you decided that things weren't going to be the same and you would transform your life. And then from there, there was the death of George Floyd. Just as the world starts to open up again, there's the death of George Floyd. And there are varying opinions on uh, that event uh, the movement, but there is no reasonable room for debate that very glaring and obvious to us right now from riots and looting and defensiveness and uh, complete separation from friendships and acquaintances and friends as opinions are being expressed. There's no reasonable room for debate that in the area of race relations, we are in a, uh, we are experiencing adversity and trauma. And that experience, that event, will also be a time when some will look on it and say, that's where it became clear, that's when I got it, things started to shift, and I'm better as a result. There will be those who are so positioned that they'll never move off of it. And there are those who just want things to just get back to normal because it's media sensationalism. Wherever you find yourself, the reality is that nothing external to you has the power to cause you anything. 
Nothing external to you has the power to cause you any particular feeling or uh, emotion. And so where we find ourselves then in this the, the great discovery into how to move from adversity to post-traumatic growth versus being derailed and experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, it really does come down to how you explain the event or experience. What is your explanatory style? Martin Seligman, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, Ivy League institution, has done some seminal work in the area of explanatory styles. And in that research that he and his team has conducted, of all of the things that they've studied, it is his determination, and I happen to agree, that the number one determinant of whether or not a person is able to bounce back from adversity and challenge is in their explanatory style or how they explain events and experiences to themselves. He broke it down into the three P's. One is personalization, another is pervasiveness, and the third is permanence. Personalization, pervasiveness, and permanence. Those three P's and how you explain to yourself what's happening is the most incredible predictor of your ability to bounce back. So when we talk about personalization, when adversity or challenges strike, are you one who takes it personal? There is a big misconception of what the word karma means. There's a big misunderstanding about karma and how it actually works. There are those who tend to believe that when they're faced with adversity and challenge, it is an unpaid debt that they have, that this adversity and challenge is coming to them because of something that they did wrong sometime before, when in essence, you can't live life without being challenged or being faced with some adversity. And so those who thrive are those who don't take things personal. They don't look at the adversity and challenge as something that's happening only to them or that is happening to keep them from experiencing the life of their dreams. They actually recognize that it visits everybody and perhaps now was their turn. Pervasiveness is the tendency to take one adversity or challenge and make it apply to every area. There are those that when something bad happens, they tend to make it apply to every area of their life. This is the person who is on their way to the office. Well, that hasn't been happening a lot lately. However, you'll get the illustration. This is the person who's in route to the office or to some place early in the morning. They have a flat tire. And because of the flat tire, they now determine that their entire day has been ruined. That is going to affect how they do everything else in the course of that day. Whereas those who are highly successful and forward-thinking people are able to localize it. 
They recognized that this was just a, uh, an event or experience that, that happened, and it doesn't have to affect how they do everything else in the course of the day. You might look into your life and recognize that you didn't have a bad day today. You didn't have a bad day last week as much as you had a bad experience that you ruminated on for the entire day. I'll say that again. It's not that you had an overall bad day where every hour was a bad hour. No, you had a bad experience that you continually deliberated on, you ruminated on it for the entire day, and that, because of the power of who you are, affected all other things. So a way to experience post-traumatic growth is to not take things personally, meaning it's being done to you. Another way to experience post-traumatic growth is to not allow it to be uh, pervasive. Don't allow it to uh, fit every area. Um, and dare I you know, dabble into this a bit, it's those who, uh, who are one to say, well, uh, not all uh, police officers are bad. Right? That's a very clear and uh, present truth. It's in fact, it's an absolute fact. Uh, it's also true that not all of a particular race of people are bad. It is when I have an experience of one or there is an experience of one and then we make it apply to all, that's an example of allowing it to be pervasive. Well, if it fits one, then it fits all. If it fits one of this race, then it fits all. If it fits one of this profession, then it fits all. And you can, you can do that for yourself. You can also use it or you see it in evidence when we generalize people or groups or professions. When you're doing that, you're working against experiencing growth, and it's actually keeping you stuck. So you're allowing it to be per pervasive, and it's not. The third P is permanence. And that relates to how long you allow it to last. So when something, when some adversity or challenge hits, there are those who you will hear them say things like, this always happens. Every time I get excited about my goal, I get excited about my dream. Every time I allow myself to be open to the possibility, this happens every single time. It always is this way. And they have an expectation that that's the way it will always be. So there's some permanence to it. And because of the power of who we are, we have the ability to influence that through our predominant ways of thinking. Highly successful people don't allow it to be permanent. I said earlier that adversity visits all of us. It's important that you make adversity remain a visitor and not move in completely, right? So adversity stops to visit you, to visit your home, to visit your family. It's important that you don't allow the adversity to move in, right? You're not going to go uh, give them a room, right? They're not going to become your roommate. They were a visitor. And so 
when we, uh, you can also see things as temporary versus permanent versus this always happens. Uh, we can make it an isolated event or experience because in essence, it really is. So those three P's and how you, how you uh, interpret those, how you explain the event or the experience is your key to experiencing growth versus remaining stuck. So do you take it personal or do you recognize that it's happening to more than just you? Do you allow it to be pervasive and ruin everything in every area where you begin to generalize the all? Or are you able to create some separation? And then do you allow it to be permanent or do you see it as a temporary uh, bump in the road? Those three P's are the key to you experiencing post-traumatic growth, how you explain what has occurred. When the Harvard Business School was studying what makes for successful people, uh, they had the endowment that permitted them to really study it closely. And what they uncovered was that that great predictor of success is not intelligence. It's not IQ. It's not how brilliant or smart someone is. It's likely that you know people who are extremely intelligent, yet they lack common sense and common discernment. They're very intelligent, however, put in charge of leading a group of people and they fail miserably. It's not just your intelligence quotient. They also recognize that it's not just your emotional quotient. It's not just your ability to get along with people and be charismatic, uh, be the life of the party, to have everyone like you, uh, that would be the key to a fulfilling and extraordinary life. There are those who have that down. They know how to win friends and influence people, yet under closer examination, there's really no substance to them. However, they have an incredible ability to inspire. But if you're going to truly live a fulfilling life, you got to have some substance to you also. So in, their, in the Harvard uh, School's research, it was recognized that it's not IQ, it's not intelligence, it's not EQ, it's not your emotional quotient. What they determined was the most incredible predictor for life success is your RQ or your resilience quotient. Your resilience quotient is your ability to bounce back no matter what you are faced with, no matter what comes your way, no matter what cards you are dealt. You have determined or you found a way to bounce back. Your resilience quotient is your ability to when you get knocked down, to stand up again. I encourage people like Les Brown would say, he said, if you, when you get knocked down, when you get knocked down, if you can land on your back, it is important because he goes on to say, if you can look up, you can get up. If you can find a way that when you get knocked down, you still can look up, it is more possible for you to find a way to stand again. And what's happening right now in our world, there are those who are, who are on the side of history where we recognize 
that love is what wins. And there are enough people who have had enough experience, or perhaps it was them being able to see what a group of people is experiencing, that they've determined that they're going to be part of a solution that promotes good and love for all. That I don't win unless you win. That you losing means me losing also. That there there is something to this Psy Seminar's mission of world peace, one mind at a time. And those who have locked arms on that ideal recognize that resilience will be the order of the day. And they also note that what forms community, as I start to bring this to a, a place where we begin to ask questions, what builds community is mutual suffering. Mutual suffering creates bonds. That's why you see sports teams who are willing to go, who have gone through the trenches together, who will put their blood, sweat, and tears on the line for the person next to them on the football field or the basketball court because they've struggled through it together. There has been mutual suffering. It's why people can go to war, and in going to war and having been in battle with different races, creeds, cultures, and genders, even though that may not have been their way of growing up or what they would do normally back home, having been in war together, that mutual suffering creates bonds. Entrepreneurs starting businesses with business partners who can remember what it was like from the beginning, who can remember what it was like when they were getting started before uh, they IPO'd and before they were flourishing. There's a, there's a bond there that cannot be broken because there is mutual suffering. The pandemic has been an incredible equalizer because it did not have or did not show a respect of person. So around the globe, around the world, there was something that we could all relate to and its effects. Because of that mutual suffering, there is a united front that we began to experience. And when it comes to civil rights, and racial injustices. I contend that, be, that because so many people were able to view what happened, they were able to witness it with their own eyes. Because of that, they felt something. There was something that they felt that went beyond just reading about things in history books. There was something that went beyond just uh, another incident with law enforcement uh, doing a routine, you know, traffic stop. This went beyond that. And because they were able to witness it and see it, not only with themselves, but with their partner and with their children, being able to witness that and feel something as they witnessed it, it led to a mutual suffering. See, as long as you can't relate to what another person has gone through, 
then you're going to have a challenge or great difficulty locking arms with them to go change it or make a difference. Because the nature of the event or experience was one in which so many people got to witness it, there was mutual suffering. And I could not deny what I was witnessing. Because of that, there is the uproar that we are experiencing. Because when that happens, a bond is created. And so I will uh, assert that even though there's pandemic and there's pandemonium, things will settle. And as things settle, there will have been changes made, not just changes, there will have been transformations that have been made in the hearts and minds of people, in the way that companies do business, in the way that products and services are offered, in the way that men and women treat each other, that the world will be transformed as a result of what has occurred. The only thing to be determined is if, whether or not, you will be on the side of history where there is transformation or if you'll get left behind. As Eric Hoffer is quoted as saying, in times of change, and there's no doubt that we are in that right now, he says that in times of change, the learners will inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. In times of change, that's what we're going through right now. The learners, those who are willing to uh, adapt, those who are willing to change a belief, those who are willing to take on a new perspective. In times of change, the learners will inherit the earth. While the learned, the learned, those that know everything, those that are stuck in their ways, those that are positioned that this is how it's always been and this is the way it will always be, they will find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. There's no reasonable room for debate that the world is changing right now. There's no doubt that things are shifting. You can get stuck in where you are and you'll be on the wrong side of history. There's transformation that's happening. And in order for that change to occur, it is absolutely necessary change mandates that we be uncomfortable for a period of time before the change occurs. And so there's discomfort. There is some anxiety. There is some feelings of being unsettled. That is an absolute requirement in order for there to be true change and transformation. So in the midst of that discomfort, Waiting and fighting for things to return to normal is faulty thinking. We are not returning to normal. We are in the midst of a structural change. And in structural change, things don't return to the way they were. Where we find ourselves, without any uh, real time for debate on it, is we are in the midst of structural change, and the only real option you have is to position yourself for leadership. So how do you do that? You practice the three Ps. Another way that you do that is you, you make sure that your environment, be that your home environment, your work environment, your friend environment, is 
one that is conducive and ready for growth. So you're mindful of your environment. And the third way of doing it, a very practical tool we share or teach in the basic seminar is called screen of the mind. And screen of the mind is a tool that you use to change the way that you think. It is just as it sounds. You create in your mind a screen, a picture screen, a movie screen, and on the screen you see the situation and your involvement in it, the way that it is currently, surrounded with a dark frame. Something very powerful happens when we acknowledge, and that's what's happening to a great degree in our world right now, there's some acknowledgement happening. Because until we acknowledge, we can't truly shift it. Because you can never change what you don't own. If you're never willing to own it, then you can never change it. So on your screen, surrounded by a dark frame, you see the situation as it is currently. You're then going to change the polarity of the screen, and on the screen, you're going to see the situation as you desire it to be, but surrounded with bright, iridescent, golden white light. Once you see the picture of what you desire the outcome to be, you hold on to that picture until it's manifest in your life. Because what you can conceive and believe you will achieve. That's a practical tool for you to use. There's a difference between being victimized and having a victim consciousness because your consciousness is what you decide to believe. You affect what you believe through three Ps. Do you take it personal? Is it pervasive? And do you allow it to be permanent? And beyond that, you determine that nothing means anything until we assign a meaning to it. If you'll do those things, you'll experience growth in the midst of adversity, and you can look back on your adversity and say, that that was a time that I changed my life, where things were never the same again after that. When you do that, you move into the elite and select few who aren't being defined by outside circumstances. They recognize that regardless of what's happened, where they've been, or what they've been through, what comes next is up to them. And so what I'd like to do now is uh, I'd like to turn it back over to Kat. And Kat, I know we have uh, maybe just a little bit of time for questions, and I'm willing to get to as many um, as we can. So um, Kat, over to you. Before we go into questions, I want to take a moment for all of the people listening in who have not yet done our classes. If you want more tools to support you in your personal growth and living your best life, the basic course has extremely effective techniques that you can put into practice right away to achieve goals beyond what you previously thought possible. And for those results that you really want to create in your life, at the PSI Basic Seminar, you get to uncover your limiting beliefs, discover what has been holding you back from living the life of your dreams, whatever that is for you. The basic is an experiential class where you will be immersed in powerful exercises and get to explore who you are, what you really want, and how to get where you want to go. If there's anything you want more, better, or different for yourself and your life, 
then go to psibasicseminar.com and get registered for the next PSI Basic. We do hold classes in cities uh, all over the country. Now, not all locations are available right now. However, there will be dates in the future. So you can find locations and dates that are available. Find one that works for you at psibasicseminar.com. So for questions, first off from MP, how do I get myself motivated after I have been emotionally knocked down traumatically after some major events? I find myself afraid of trying. Great question. And um, I think first of all, uh, as I was as I was just saying, we as best you can, you look to not take it personal, right? That that feeling of being knocked down has occurred and has happened for everyone. Now, in order to take on a new action, there are one of two reasons why we move and take action, and it boils down to either pleasure or pain. Some people are inspired to move because of the promise of what's to be. And other people are only inspired to move once they recognize that the prices for staying where they are are too great. So what I would encourage you to do is look in your life and when you have taken action, when you have made movement, were you inspired to go after something or was it that you were finally tired of what you were dealing with. Determine whether or not you are a pain person or a pleasure person. And then look at what is I, and so if you're a pleasure person, you, you work on a vision of the future that would be the result of you taking the action. And that may inspire you to get moving. Or if you recognize that you are a pain person, then take some time to look at what is it costing you to remain where you are. And once those prices are too heavy, you'll be inspired to do something different. Kat, next question. Next from SB, how do we forgive toxic, abusive people we have eliminated from our lives? Wow. Um, when it comes to forgiveness, I think it's so important to first understand that forgiveness is not for the other person. Uh, that forgiveness is for you. Withholding forgiveness is what's keeping you perhaps from taking the action that you know to take. In those places in your life where you know what to do and you're not doing it, you know the steps to take and you're not taking them, it is because you have some forgiveness work to do. So the thing to explore, um, SB, would be to look at what is it that you get out of holding on to the forgiveness. Like, how's it serving you? What's the benefit? What's the payoff? Now, your initial response to that might be, well, there's no benefit. And I would encourage you to look to look closer because we don't do anything unless there's a benefit for it, including being unwilling to forgive. So maybe from that, you get to be justified. You get to be right. You get to be comfortable. You get to not have to take risks. You get to play it safe. There are any number of benefits. So first recognize what the benefit is that you are getting from holding on to the forgiveness and then look at what is the price that you're paying. 
So what is it keeping you from? What's the action that it's keeping you from taking? Now, when, when it comes to the how-to, how do you forgive or how do you know that you've forgiven? You are taking action in the direction of what you want. It's not about just being busy. You are taking action in the direction of your dreams. That is the practice of forgiveness. So again, and not to belabor it, however, if you know what to do and you're not doing it, you know the steps to take to get to your dream and you're not taking those steps, well, by not taking those steps, you are keeping your dream from you. So that, that's a way of you taking out revenge on yourself. So the inverse of that then would be that by you taking action in the direction of what you want, you're getting closer to your dreams. Very, very important. Not just about being busy, not just about being active. Am I taking steps in the direction of what your ultimate dream is? And that's how you will know that you've forgiven. It's also the way to practice forgiveness. You will know that you've forgiven when you do it, and you're practicing forgiveness when you do it. Go out and take action in the direction of the things that you want. Kat, next question. Next from DW. How can someone get over something that traumatized them over 20 years ago, and why does it still affect them on a daily basis? Okay, great question. Uh, what, I will, what I will say is that it's not about getting over it. It's about getting through it. Some events and experiences of our lives are things that we never get over completely. I'm not asserting or suggesting that we get to a place where we don't even think about it anymore, where we don't even remember that it occurred. Your subconscious mind is so powerful. Your subconscious mind has an amazing memory. And so if you experience the event, your subconscious has the ability to recall it. So perhaps a change in the conversation to move from how do we get over it to how do we get through it? How do you allow that event or experience to be something that you've learned from and become better because of than have it be the reason why 20 years ago you stopped being who you were capable of being. So it's not about getting over it, it's about getting through it. And I, am, I have very strong conviction that you are, if you will practice some of the how-tos that I've shared here tonight, that you will find ways to get through it, even if you're not necessarily over it. Some things uh, we, just, we, we, we need to be moving through. Kat, next question. Next from SC. I have a hard time getting along with people now, and I can't stop getting angry. What can I do? Well, we can start by <clears throat> recognizing the truth, okay? Uh, I can't stop getting angry is not accurate. You can because you control the emotion. If uh, you are a graduate of the basic seminar, perhaps uh, reach out to your, uh, to your city, uh, to those that work in, work in the city and, or go come back through the basic seminar and hear it again, uh, the, the three R's, the lecture around the three R's and also the lecture around victim responsible. As a graduate of the basic seminar, you can attend the course uh, 
as often as you like, whenever you like, wherever the class is being held. So use that as a ongoing tool for maintenance, okay? But it's not true that you can't stop getting angry. But what, what I would encourage you to look at is what are the benefits or the payoffs that you get from being angry? And then also what are the prices that you're paying? It is possible that what you get out of it, the payoffs that you're getting, outweigh what you recognize as the prices. When you invert that relationship, then you will find yourself less angry. But also look at what's your vision? What do you want? And create a vision or desire that is so strong that it compels you to do something different. A very specific tool, if you're listening for that, a very specific tool for getting out of the anger and the resentment uh, can be screen of the mind and using your screens to see the perfect positive end result. Because again, if you cannot see your situation being any different, your situation is not ever going to be any different. Kat? Next from AJ. What are approaches to reframing trauma events for myself and others? Great question. Uh, reframing it, really, and I love that term, by the way, reframing it really comes down to uh, the story that you assign or the meaning that you give it. Said differently tonight, it's your explanatory style. So the situation, whatever the event or experience was, it was a real event. It truly happened. It was devastating. It was traumatic. It was hurtful. There was pain. There was perhaps loss. There was sadness. All of those things are, are true. What is also true is that that event will mean what you determine it will mean. There is no inherent meaning to any event. So if, AJ, you recognize that you have the power to reframe it, then, and I, and I don't say this uh, nonchalantly, but if you've done the work to recognize that you have the power to reframe it, then it could only stand to reason that you recognize that you have the power to assign a story that will empower you. So give the event a meaning that will empower and inspire. And you can truly begin to, you know, you ask for a particular tool, screen of mind again, but also begin to write out what are the things that you learned from that event or experience and how you'll use those lessons to empower you moving forward. Kat? Next from NU. What are some of the best ways to be a part of the solution for anti-racism now when still in the middle of a pandemic and beyond? Some books have been recommended for a better understanding and sensitivity. What do you recommend? Um, I do recommend uh, reading. I recommend uh, study. Uh, there are uh, documentaries, uh, but mainly it's about connecting with people who are in the struggle that you're speaking of and truly listening. We practice a concept in the basic seminar uh, called the 
three ways of listening. And of the three ways of listening, two of them don't work. And yet those are the two that get used the most. Uh, those first two ways of listening, the first way of listening is to agree with what's being communicated. The second way of listening is to disagree with what's being communicated. In both of those ways of listening, nothing new gets in. And so uh, I believe that your question is sincere. And so what I recommend is getting to know people who don't have the life experience that you've had and listen. Listen without looking to solve anything. Listen without judgment. Listen from a place of truly gathering understanding. Listen with empathy. And in empathy is the type of listening where for a moment, just for a moment, you make someone else's needs more important than your own. The tool that we have that most supports that is the third way of listening. In my experience right now, every, and I excuse the hyperbole, however, it seems that everyone is picking a side and few are determined to listen. And so reach out to someone who doesn't look like you. Reach out to someone who didn't grow up where you grew up. Find someone who has an experience that's different than what your life experiences have been and truly get to know. And then beyond that, be a person who voices or speaks up when what you see doesn't fit. I was in a situation not long ago where, I, when, where someone I cared about was being spoke of in a way that was, I felt, disparaging. And I spoke to it. And the conversation continued after I spoke to it. And so I, I got up from the table and left. See, and what I know is that even though in that moment it didn't change it, what can be said of me is that, well, hmm, does this potentially mean that if I was the subject of the conversation, he would speak up or at least walk away and not be part of it? You have people in your life that, and this is not about just having a different opinion or a different viewpoint. I'm all about hearing the different viewpoints, but to be silent is to be compliant. And here is where you have an opportunity to take a stand, even though it's unpopular and may be uncomfortable for a while. So reach out, listen, and speak up. Those would be the three things that I recommend. Kat? So we also have a number of people listening in who have not yet done our classes. And I was hoping that before you get to the takeaways, you could just uh, take a couple of minutes to share about the PSI series of courses and what makes them so effective and how they're different from other trainings that are out there. Right on. I'm glad to do that. And first, I'll say to those of you who have uh, not attended uh, any of the work of PSI seminars, it's not a coincidence that you're on this call. 
think there's always the law of cause and effect. And your being on this call is the effect. Uh, the cause is uh, a way of thinking or a way of being that you desire. And perhaps you're being compelled or moved forward. The series of co courses that we offer begin with first identifying or becoming aware of what are the ways of thinking that drive the results that you're creating. The premise is to think is to create. Everything is created twice. We understand that for, for material objects, I contend that that's the same for the circumstances and uh, results that we have in our life. In the basic seminar, we first become aware of what's the thinking that's driving your results. There's then a seven-day life success course that's all about busting through the ways of thinking that don't serve you. And unless you've done specific work like this, I can just assure you that you're on automatic and you don't even know why you're creating the success that you have, that you are and what's keeping you from having the success that you know you're pop that you know you're capable of. So the life success course is about busting through the ways of thinking that don't work. And then we offer the leadership course that is really about leadership of self and expanding your vision in such a way that you make a contribution to the world whereby the world is better because of your time on the planet. And so uh, none of the other two is available to you until you first attended the basic seminar. And uh, my hope is that we get to be in class together when you make, when you, when you, after this podcast, go on and register yourself. Um, so that's how the courses work, and they're available to anyone who recognizes the importance of self-understanding and the importance of self-education. Um, and before I conclude tonight, again, just wanted to remind you of these takeaways. First, adversity and challenge visits everybody. You cannot be exonerated from the struggle. And there is a way for you to take the adversity and challenge and become better as a result of it than you ever were before. That's what we're referring to as post-traumatic growth. The key to post-traumatic growth is first the understanding, as we learned from William James, that we have the ability to change our world by changing our attitude of mind. And what directly affects our attitude of mind is our predominant ways of thinking. Our thinking is influenced by how we explain the adversity and challenges that we face. There are three Ps, personal, pervasive, and permanent. How you handle those three Ps are, is an incredible predictor for your life success. And the thing that we all have, regardless of your socioeconomics, your color of skin, who your parents were or weren't, where you grew up, what we all have is resilience because resilience is a skill that can be developed. And if you develop it to a degree, then you're able to bounce back no matter what you are faced with. Our world right now is going through some transformation and you have the opportunity to look back on this time as a time that you'll never forget because it made you better than you ever were. Or you could be one of the learned to take on nothing new, to don't invest in personal development, and find yourself beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. That choice is yours. As our president, Shirley Hunt, says, when it comes to opportunity, opportunities don't pass us by. 
we pass them on to other people because we don't take action. Kat? Thank you so much, Cortland. I appreciate having you on the podcast with this timely topic. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and experience with us tonight. My pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you to everyone listening in. We hope that you enjoyed the training and have some new tools uh, to move you forward in the pursuit of your dreams and goals. You definitely don't want to miss next month's training. It's scheduled for Tuesday, July 14th with PSI facilitator Tim O'Kelly talking about effectiveness essentials. You can register now at psilive.com and remember to ask your questions when you register. Again, that's psilive.com. If you're getting value from our podcast, don't forget to rate us and leave a review on iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes to make sure you get the new episode each month and definitely share it with anyone you think would benefit. Again, for those of you who are new to PSI seminars and would like to find out more about the PSI Basic course, you can go to psibasicseminar.com where you'll find information about the class as well as the upcoming dates and locations that are open for registration. Thank you everyone for being on the training tonight. We appreciate you taking the time out to listen in. Have a great night.